Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to the latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. Hope you're doing really well. Got a special conversation for you today, one that is about 16 months in the making. I had this conversation a year and a half ago, something like that, with the brilliant Billy Duffy, lead guitarist for The Cult. A lot of people consider him to be the greatest guitarist of all time. Now, the reason it's taken us so long to get it out there, simply technical challenges. We had some audio glitches when we recorded this. It's taken us a while to figure it out. I think it sounds in terms of audio quality, sounds great now. And it's one, it just kind of got a bit lost in the system, unfortunately. However, I'm so pleased we've been able to fix it. This is a cool chat with a really top guy. Actually, Billy and I did this face-to-face. We have this amazing truck that converts into a portable TV and radio studio. And actually, we filmed this as well, which is another reason why we had some technical challenges. So, yeah, it's been a long time coming, but I am brilliantly happy to finally be able to bring you this lovely wicked conversation with just such a top man i've got to tell you on and off camera off mic billy's an absolute legend i mean i'm obviously a fanboy because i love the cult and all the people that he's been in and around some of the stories you're about to hear i'm not going to preempt any of them because they are so cool so if you like your rock and roll and if you like your rock and roll lifestyle this one is for you proper rock star proper lad really 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 happy to say this is Billy Duffy. The Andy J Podcast. I'm really chuffed to be able to talk to my next guest, a man who has been described by more than one source, and I'm talking about thousands and thousands of people, as the greatest guitarist in the world. It's the one and only Billy Duffy. How are you doing, Billy? I must have been that source, I think. I'm doing <laughs> all right. I'm doing all right. Billy, it's one of those things where I don't use that term lightly. <laughs> you know, you are a virtuoso at the guitar. You know, it's you, you type your name into anything and one of the first thing that comes up is greatest living guitarist. Oh, really? I, I should do that then. <laughs> if I'm having a bad day, I'll, I'll, I mean, you know, I think you stick around long enough. I think it's the thing in Britain where if you, you like, like you, as a band, the call, or me as a player, if you stick around long enough, eventually people kind of begrudgingly go, oh, yeah, maybe they're all right. You know, no, it takes no, no, a no. decade or four. I've got you know. to pick you up on that. No one's ever saying that Ringo Starr's the greatest drummer ever drummed, and he's true, and he's true. still alive. Yeah, you know? true, very much so. Very, very true. Very true. He's a he's a cat. I actually know him. That's funny. There's where's one. You're going to tell me he's better than we think he is, are you? He's he's a great cat. <laughs> he's an interesting guy. Ringo really is. Lovely guy. But you wouldn't have him in your dream band, would you? <laughs> No, I'm not being harsh. No, no. Well, you know what? I, what I love about drummers, I love inventive drummers. I like drummers who um, they come up with good bits, you know. And Ringo's head used to do that, which was very important. Yeah. And the other thing about Ringo or Richard is that 
I think he was a left-handed person playing drums right-handed. Okay. Little little known factoid. That's good. On the Beatles. So it, 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 there's a certain kind of syncopation thing that made his, him unique. I think for a for me as a musician and, and a writer of music, it's always important, the other members of the band, it's vital their contribution, even if they don't like think up the music. If you come up with an idea, a musical idea, the last thing you need is like a terrible drum beat or something really <laughs> yeah. mundane. Yeah. It's just like, uh. so that can be really helpful. You know, I mean, that's, you know, if you look at the history bands, you know, Led Zeppelin, as soon as John Bonham died, that was that. As yeah. far as they, they were never, never went out as Led Zeppelin again. Yeah. You know, he was such an integral part of their sound. So, Do you think they should have done that with Queen when Freddie died? Um, it's an, that's an interesting, um, I think, my opinion on that, and, and I have some <clears throat> fairly close to home because my singer, Ian, sang with the Doors. Right. And for three or four years when the cult weren't working. And there were a lot of people who were like negative about it and a lot of people who were positive. I think that the audience are not being tricked into thinking they're going to see you know, a yeah. ghost. Yeah. They know what they're going to see. If they don't want to go, they shouldn't go. If they want to go and enjoy the music, and remember, you know, all the, for example, in The Doors, all The Doors hits were actually written by the guitar player. Right. Like My Fire was written by Robbie Krieger. It wasn't written by Jim Morrison. Yeah. He just sang it. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of, my opinion on that is that I think, like the Queen guys, why shouldn't those other members of Queen, even though they had a tragic loss of their singer, yeah, not be able to go out and play their music. As long as they're not trying to sell it as anything that it isn't. You know, I think I think the audience no, are, are informed. And that, that's my opinion. Some people are very much like, oh, no. But then what else are they going to do? Can you imagine that? Being no, part of mean. something like Queen or The Doors. And, oh, well, you can't play the music that you wrote because your singer died tragically. Yeah, yeah you, but I guess I guess because it's the singer... You know, yeah, because yeah. it's and, and because Freddie was an icon. Let's be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yeah. his voice, and you know, and he, he wrote yeah. a lot of the music, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a hard, very hard. I mean, I wouldn't want to step into those shoes. It was, you? yeah, yeah. I think it's a tough one with bands. I mean, in certain genres of music, like like I guess with like hard rock, heavy metal bands. You know, Black Sabbath has had about five different lead singers. You right, know, right. The, you know, it, it it seems to depend. It's almost like genre specific. Certainly in heavy metal bands, it's perfectly acceptable yeah. for ACDC to have had, you know, two singers yeah. and three and you know, Iron Maiden a couple. Yeah. You know what I mean? Guns N' Roses have played around with the lineup a uh, bit. Um, well, yeah. Not Axel, though, to be fair. Yeah, it's, no, they've always been Axel. Yeah. But it's, they were slash light for a while, weren't they? Uh, they were definitely short of a Duff and a Slash. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And an Izzy. <laughs> yeah. No, they did play, they actually played around in the heyday as well, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about the cult because okay, all right. It must be a subject to... you're pretty well versed on. To be fair, <laughs> oh. I mean this. I'm going to take you back. Right. What are we looking at? Eighty three when you formed. Right. Yeah. And since then, I I tried to count it up the other day. You've had something like seventeen albums. Is yeah, right? on a, yeah various. It's, different a, it's a lot. I mean, that's an anthology. Well, you know, yeah, it's... a few. Yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not that prolific. I mean, we've been going thirty seven years, but we you know we've these periods where we weren't kind of playing, been on hiatus. So there was a period when we weren't playing. But yeah, yeah, it's 
It's a challenge writing new music, you know, um, coming up with new songs. I think it's important for bands to do it. Yeah. So it's just not about nostalgia. I mean, you know, we fully understand that people want to hear the hits yeah. when they go and pay their money for a night out. And I get that. But it's good in a way to be able to throw in the odd new song here and there and show. It's like going to the gym, you know. It's like working your muscles. Like the, the creative part of being a musician, I think, is important. And... You know, even if we accept, which I think is pretty much common knowledge, that there's a golden era as a, as a writer, yeah. certainly of popular music. I, I, maybe classical writers were different, but, you know, classical music writers were, were different. But, you know, they, the, the best songwriters in the world have a golden period. And then after that, they're okay, but they don't write anything like the stuff from the day. Well, you say classical music. I mean, Mozart was finished when he was 19. Yes, he's you know? some yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know. It's those, that teenage stage was really rough for Mozart. Well, yeah. Little Wolfgang. It. Yeah, it was all, yeah, that was it. Yeah. It's a tough one. Um, so, right, it? yeah, writing's, you know, that's a challenge, I think, as, as any band um, will find out, you know, over time, if you stick around long enough, that, that becomes a challenge to keep going back to the well and, Bringing up another, you know, bucket. One day that you think, oh, is the bucket going to be empty? No ideas. <laughs> you know what we're going to do? We've done this chord before. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the other thing is, you know, you, you people want you to sound. You're always caught in a bit of difficult situation where you don't want to sort of, um, you know, plagiarize yourself. Yeah. Do versions. Some bands, I guess, there are again, there are bands who, you know, ACDC spring to mind where they they basically have made the same album for forty. <laughs> plus years yeah. the goal is to make the same album yeah and there are other bands who the goal is to not make the same album ever and try and change within the sort of you know stay in your lane but and i guess that's more where the cult's at you know where uh, no that's that's the thing i think you can you can play something from the first two or three albums and you yeah. can play something from i don't know when was the last time 2016 yeah, yeah last album yeah, came yeah. out and it's clearly the same group it's clearly the same guys playing the same style of music. You take a band yeah. like the Black Crows, for example, yeah, yeah. who yeah. threw it out of the blocks with the first couple of yeah, albums yeah, with yeah. the, you know, proper, proper tunes. Sure, yeah. And then they take these tangents down to country music. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah. What, at what point did you think the fan base wanted to listen to country? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, why yeah. would you do that? Is that just because musically you want to be challenging yourself or you so. weren't being true to start with? What's that? I, th I think that you want to do, I think having most bands who've had a degree of success, um, there's always a period where I think you have to deal with what it's like to get the success. Right. It's not always, you don't really get a, like a brochure. You know, like if you go in any line of work, generally a real, like I'd say a normal job, a career path. Yeah. If you know if you work for so many years and do so many things, eventually you'll end up in this position in the company or you'll own your own company or this. In a band, you, you just don't really know, you know, whether the, the, the drummer's going to be alive next week or the singer's going to hate your guts. or <laughs> And then, you know, nobody tells you, well, you better enjoy this album because you're never going to make one as, as big as this again. Right. You're always, you know, you're always kind of climbing, trying to like get up to the top of the mountain. And then you get there and you think, oh, and we're still not even at the mountain yet. Yeah. And then you realise you're starting to slide down the other side of the mountain and nobody told you. <laughs> and it's it's a, and then you sort of look at it. I take more of a philosophical approach, and that was one of the reasons probably why the cult have had the longevity is when we started, you know, one of the reasons Ian and I got together was a desire to 
do this for life, right. like be in a band and make, you know, broadly speaking, rock music forever, as long as we could. Yeah. Um, and so therefore decisions that you make along the way in terms of like what label you sign to, gigs that you will right. do, gigs that you won't do, all those decisions you make over sort of 10, 20 years, they give you a career path and a trajectory that can be that or that or one that does that or you get some success. And, you know, we were looking at the long, we were trying to go for the long game and we got very good advice when we started very early on a couple of um, American um, bigwigs in the music business who, who worked for like Warner Brothers and they ended up starting Virgin America. Um, one of the guys was called Jeff Ayroff and um, there's another guy whose name escapes me at the minute, but they, Jordan, somebody, and they, they kind of said, you know, like, what are you, are you in this? Because some people end up in bands by accident and they right. don't even really want to be in a band. They just, it's an accident. Like, oh, I, I thought I'd sing in this band for a laugh. It turns out I'm really good. I, and, oh, I, and, and, and I don't even like it. <laughs> and I don't ever want to go on tour and I can't stand being on a tour bus and this, I hate it. All right. So they last for a couple of years and they get out and, you know, I don't know, open a... Professor whatever. Brian Cox. There's a lot of people that do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, me and Ian are kind of like lifers. You know, I, I always, this is what I always wanted to do. So when you're there with a the guitar, mm. is that work or is it pleasure? Um, it, it's it's most it's certainly pleasure. I mean, it's it's I'm I'm incredibly lucky to be able to make a living at doing something I love. I think the challenge is once you've had some success, like we were referring to the Black Crows, and of course there's a band with brothers yeah. in a band, yeah. so that's a different dynamic again. Tough gig, yeah, yeah. There's a whole other thing in in that, and I know those guys a little bit, and you know, there's another dynamic as well as a familial thing as well as the band thing, but I think. The challenge is to retain the love for music. And right. I think that feeds back into what I was saying about still trying to write music. Even though, we're, you know, I'm pretty aware I'll probably never write a song like As Good As She Sells Sanctuary again. Seriously? Seriously? Maybe. I mean, I don't think Paul McCartney wakes up and thinks I'm going to do Hey Jude, longer, hey Jude yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. But he has an amazing life and does great gigs. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm at peace with that. Well let, me, well, let me pick you up Do you understand on that, what I mean yeah, by yeah, no, that I, point? I, I do and I don't. Right. So you talk about a song as good as Seashell Sanctuary. Because, yeah. I mean, look, look, that's a song that everybody knows. It's one of the greatest guitar riffs that has, that's ever been written. You know? <laughs> everybody that's listening to this show now, watching this show now, everyone's heard it. Everyone knows it. We can all sing it. It's, play, it's been playing on loop in my head <laughs> since I knew we were going to start Chang. You know? Right. It's, a, it's an iconic song. Right. But when you say you're never going to write a song as good as that again, yeah. do you mean in terms of publicity? Or do you mean in terms of uh, okay. Writing yeah, okay, let me let me define that. Yeah, I I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, we, we probably have written better songs, but in terms of a song that captures the, the people's imagination or becomes part of their lives, yeah. we're very fortunate that we had that song yeah. that, like, I think is our most well-known song, certainly in the UK. It's a colossal hit. In, in this country, for sure, and certain yeah. other countries. You know, in, in the United States, maybe there was other songs that yeah. a little bit later we were more identified with. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, I don't want to sound like it's defeatist. I'm just trying to be like I'm a pragmatist. Right. I don't, you know, I, I, I try and do the best I can very hard on myself with the writing and the music. And, you know, Ian and I, when we do new music and it's about sort of quality, not quantity. You know, we could knock together stuff a lot sooner, but, you know, we'd rather just 
get it as good as we... I want to feel that when I've made a new record and put it out with a call on it, it's as good as it can be given the circumstances. Not that, you know, we've knocked something together really quickly. Uh, Here you go, whatever, and we're going to go out on tour and please buy a T-shirt. You know what I mean? It's not... I'm not really in it for that at this point, and neither is Ian. You know, but it's the challenge of that, I think, is important to keep going back and trying to... um, yeah, go back to the well and come up with something else, you know? Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting to talk. One of my best friends is Chris Barron, lead singer of the Spin Doctors. Okay, yeah. Don't yeah. know if you know their... Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not your sort of music, I'm sure, but... Uh, you I know. was familiar with them. They had that one song, didn't they? Well, that's the thing. Well, they actually had about three or four, but there was, but there was, there was one, the one big song. one. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's the one, and I've, you know, I mean, I've I've, I've played some session drums myself. So right, I've, right. I've kind of played with a few people in the past. Right. And, and and I've I've known Chris forever. Right. And I've never seen him not happy to play that hit wherever right. he is. Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's always happy to do Two Princes, whether he's got his guitar with him or if he's just going to go. Bit, 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 yeah, know, that, yeah, that bit, yeah, the yeah. riff that he's known for, I he'll fi- do it wherever I he is. I understand what you're saying, and I agree. I mean, one of the things that with the cult is we've we've never not played most of the songs that we're you know famous for. Yeah. Um, sanctuary, you know, pretty much always. I, I think I only remember not playing it once. I bet uh, that felt weird. It was weird. We it was actually a gig in Mexico City at a racetrack, and we were supporting Guns and Roses when they got back together. So that this would be four years ago. When right, they first, nice. Yeah, yeah. Of and they did um, they did a couple of gigs in Vegas at a casino, and then the, the first gigs, and then they did Mexico City. And we did two nights with them. They, you know, the 75,000 people paid per gig. And then it was whatever else got in. Yeah. It was mental. But that was the, oh, the second night. The first night, we everything went down great. And Sanctuary kind of went down like, mm. So we just for an experiment, just to say we did it, we pulled it out of the set the next day. And, it, you know, it was fine. But it was such a rare occurrence that I actually remember when it was yeah, yeah, yeah. and why and that's really interesting because I don't know if you're the same as Chris, but Chris is. I, I said to him recently, "Do you ever get bored of playing that song?" And he was like, "It's it's never not a privilege." Yeah, I, I think there are not sanctuary. I mean, I know that there's certain songs that I I enjoy playing more than others. I mean, I'm you know being a guitar player to me, it's um, there's certain songs that are more challenging than others. Right. So, oh no, it's the fiddly bits. Yeah, it's, oh, it's that one. That I've got to do the, you know, the tap dancing on the floor and the, 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 this and this, and trying to play three guitar parts at once. Because when we made the album, yeah, I recorded yes. loads of different parts, and now I've got to, you know, the yeah, I can't. That bit can't be in. So I, you know, yeah. As Bob Rock, the great producer who's produced many, many cult albums, said to me, oh. As, as I asked him that once when we'd done the album, I said, So, Bob, what? Because he's a guitar player too, yeah. right? He was in his own. And I says to him, and he went, Well, it's kind of your problem, isn't it? <laughs> After my bit. <laughs> what do you do? Do you just loop bits? You, what you do is you, you go, you kind of look at, like, to me, what like the legendary guitar players and rock bands were. For, you know, for example, Led Zeppelin. And I would look at how they would arrange their songs live compared to the recorded versions. And, you know, I mean, Ian, the singer in the cults, very, he he doesn't care. He's like, look, we made a record. That's a record. Yeah. Live's live. live. Yeah. And people can tell the difference. I'm obviously a bit more paranoid that I want it to sound like the record. And it's physically impossible. But I think you just have to pick the key moments right. and realise that when the singer's singing, nearly everybody's looking at the singer. Right. 
And then when the singer's not singing, something exciting needs to happen. So whether it's me or the bass or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember that and, and, and just be conscious of the one focal point at that moment in the song. And don't miss the key moments. Yeah, absolutely. That's all. And, and you know, and then and hopefully the energy and the, the experience live makes up. Be amazing. Billy, let's talk about the different chapters of your life as a rock okay, star. Because, okay. you know, you... You know, you, it's 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 not often I get to sit with a proper rock star who's really lived it, right? And I'm and I'm going to make some assumptions. Oh. By all means, call bullshit on no, any of them, all right, right? All right? So we start out mid '80s. Incidentally, yeah. sidetrack here. Yeah. You've created the Smiths, thanks to an introduction. Yeah, yeah, I did introduce yeah Johnny to to Stephen. Yeah, yeah. At the time, yeah. Johnny Marr and Morrissey. Yeah, yeah. Met because of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite just a little aside. I wanted yeah, to it, put it in there. It just happened. It's quite. It just that was just. just that, it just happened. Pretty massive thing that just happened. Well, they did a lot of the work. I just didn't introduce <laughs> them, and then they yeah, did all the hard work. That's like my equivalent of introducing a couple of mates that ended up married with kids. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's a very similar thing. They did all. The, they did all the heavy lifting. Yeah, but nonetheless, it was it started because yeah. of you, which is a special moment. That we should say thank you for that. Right. But so we 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 take you back to the to the kind of mid eighties. Everyone knows the tunes you're producing. Everyone knows the cult. Mm. You must be living, and I'm assuming here, a life of some serious success. Success and excess. Uh, yeah, the 80s were, you know, um, were quite quite a fun, you know, despite some questionable <laughs> haircuts. Um, the 80s were a lot of fun, you know. Um, we, yeah, I mean, the cult started and it was all a bit like, we were kind of like sort of more of an underground, kind of like a post-punk, the fans of punk that learned to play and what you're going to do now, because we, you know, and there was a bunch of bands and a lot of them had success, you know, to lesser or greater degrees, all came out of the, the next generation after punk. Right. So basically, all, you know, I mean, it was like Depeche Mode, The Cure, Killing Joe, Bauhaus, yeah, Sisters. Yeah. Of, I mean, there was hundreds of bands. I, I'm going to omit many by just not remembering them. But we all basically, to me, were guys who sort of saw the punk bands, the original punk stuff. Right. And were like, okay, that was brilliant. It's now over. We don't want to copy that or be that. What do we do? And that was... What happened in the early 80s, there was kind of an explosion of experimentation musically with guitars. And then you got kind of U2 and Simple Minds, yeah. um, Echo and the Bunny Men, the Psychedelic Furs. You know, there was a lot of stuff that, that was the people just after punk. And that was the, the era that we came up with. And, um, you know, my, the thing with me and Ian was, I think that the differentiated the cult, I mean, Depeche Mode, New Order, the Smiths, you know, there's, and there's hundreds of bands. It was a great time. Um, and I think the thing with the cult was we just, we were just brave enough to be honest and go, you know what? We actually like rock. Yeah. And like, I know punk was like the end of that, but in actual fact, you know, Led Zeppelin were pretty good. <laughs> and we like, you know, Jimi Hendrix was okay. And, you know, in amongst me, like in the New York Dolls and Johnny Thunders and Iggy Pop and Bowie. Yeah. The, you know, I I also all had of three, you you've played with incidentally. It's some some of them, yeah, yeah. Different people got to know, but that that's just been an amazing part of my life. That's a good side of it. But so we, I think the thing with the cult was we were just brave enough in, in in against a lot of negativity from the British press because they'd become very powerful with punk. Right. 
the journalists had kind of made and they felt they owned. And you can't do guitar solos. You can't have long hair. Yeah. You know, because we had punk and this was our thing. And, yeah. You know, um, and it's like, well, you know, we're not kind of trying to make Van de Graaff Generator albums. We're just saying that maybe some Led Zeppelin was pretty good yeah. at the beginning. We're into this. That, you know, and we're just being honest. So I think we sort of put our head above the parapet. Uh, as a band who weren't out and out heavy metal, you know, yeah. like because you no, had new, interesting. you know, you had Iron Maiden and all those bands yeah. coming up the new wave of British, and stuff. right? Yeah. And they were overtly metal, and obviously they like rock. But yeah. We were somewhere in a different musical field, and for us to sort of start saying, "Oh, we like that," and you know, rock was okay, and free were good, and yeah. you know that. It was a bit shocking for a hot minute there. Three you know? were great. Oh, I wept as if it Right, song. mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? A lot of people forget about that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, Anyways, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah. I'm sidetracking now. Yeah. I'm nerding out. You're listening to the Andy J Podcast, and we really appreciate having you here with us. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a lovely review and perhaps five stars and subscribe wherever you're listening, as it really does help. The Andy J Podcast. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Billy, t just tell me if this is true, right? right. There's, there's an adage about rock stars, and it's, okay. it's those famous three words, sex, drugs, rock and roll. With, uh, with yeah. Loads of drugs, loads of sex? Question mark? Um, there were a lot of drugs about. I, I never thought The Cult was much of a druggy band. There were druggy okay. bands, and I'm not going to name names, but they were actually bands that you would think weren't druggy bands. Okay. I, I don't <laughs> I don't want to go on record. I'm not going to throw anybody under the. Uh, it was Christian Dads who vaped, wasn't it? Uh, they yeah, they were the druggy bands. Yeah, there was bad. There was bad. There was a lot of bands who were druggier than you thought, and then we we were more of a drinking <laughs> band, and the drugs were more like to keep the party going. And you know, I, I never particularly was a druggy type guy. I mean, I sampled all the food groups of drugs, right? And none of them really worked for me. I was more like you know a bit more like sort of the Lemmy approach. I mean, the Jack and Coke and yeah. I'm a happy camper, yeah. you know. <laughs> You're good. Yeah, and as long as I could stay awake long enough that to enjoy, uh, you know, the benefits, then that was it. And was it mostly, because again, you think of a rock star's lifestyle and you do think, well, girl in every town, you know, living the life, never really sleeping. Was it just party after party after party? Or, uh, or, or was there this, because you talk about you and Ian having quite a business approach to everything. And you can't do that constantly, uh, guess, can you? That's a good question. It was a bit of both. I mean, a lot of people have written books about it. You know, if you if you kind of, you know, read like the Motley Crue book and take that with a pinch of salt and stuff. I mean, the 80s were a different social, you know, the, the, the standards of behavior were different, put it that way. Yeah. You know, and it was, um, you know, the hippies had their whole free love, never washing kind of thing and yeah. communes and... You know, punk was, you know, in its own way a little bit, you know, uh, frisky in that area. And yeah, the, the 80s were a lot of fun and, you know, the, people people enjoyed themselves. So we, <laughs> we you know, we, we were like little, it was like a pirate lifestyle. People kind of, you know, we just travel around the world kind of creating, people encouraging you to create sort of rock and roll mayhem and be authentic and be the real deal and we made records, you know, like Electric, that album. We could only ever really made that album once because yeah. that was just one moment in time where it is a cartoony rock album that's very honest and we were living the life and that's why it's endured because it was authentic. And I think what you said I like about the Black Crows, maybe they were living that life when they made those albums and right. then when, when maybe they 
things change. You get money, you kids. get wives, yeah. kids, yeah. whatever. It would be inauthentic to try and fake it, I think. Right. To try and pretend. Chris Robinson shouldn't have moved to the farm. That's what That's, you're saying. Well, yeah. depend, you know, maybe not. I mean, maybe. And people generally come around to back to where where they, you know, a lot of bands, they go on these journeys and exploration musically, and they usually come back round to ground zero eventually yeah. and try and make an album like the early days. You know, they come like, let's get back to bass. Yeah. Like, what makes... This is what we this do. This is what we do. Yeah. Let's get back to that. And that's part of the journey, I think. Are there ever days, <laughs> like, when, you've, when, you're, when you're kind of right in the middle of it, when you're living the rock and roll life, are there ever days where you're just like, do you know what, I'm... I'm just going to go home and read the Bible. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm yeah, just opting out yeah. there. Oh, you know, yeah. There's I just a lot. want a quiet one. There's a, there's a lot of times because, you know, when you're a touring rock band and, and to the extent that we used to tour around America, I mean, it was relentless, you know, months and months. And, yeah. ba- and there were other bands who did more than us and there was a lot of bands that did less than us. So, you know, I wouldn't say we were heavyweights, but we, we, we definitely put the time in, which is why we've still got a strong fan base in America because we... Put the effort in. Yeah, you have to tour in America to to, to, kind of to build that, it, and those yeah. fans and they stay with you. They're yeah. very loyal. Um, so, so as a result of the work we did in the eighties, you know, we still have can go out and tour now quite well in America. Um, I, yeah, we, we it, it it was it was a lot of um, it, it. There's a lot of cra- there was a lot of craziness, you know, uh, you know, and it just but there's a lot of craziness in your twenties. I think whatever. You know, it's like, a, you know, you, and you sort of grow out of it. But there was times, I remember one time, like, I just didn't want to talk about anything to do with, like, rock and roll, airports, hotels, tour buses, <laughs> any of that. I was, like, trying to read magazines about, like, log cabins and, yeah. you know, caravanning <laughs> and anything that was just not. And it's just, you know. <laughs> Give me home and colonial. Anything. <laughs> any, any, anything to not to have five minutes away from that because that becomes the new normal, you know? Right. And I think <laughs> I, I think you can get a little lost. Yeah. You know, maybe, I don't know. It's a funny one. It's yeah. a funny one. I mean, you know, you sort of, you kind of think as a, as a, as a bloke, I kind right? of think, oh, you know, being a rock star, that's like, that's the ultimate. You don't want to be a footballer or a rock star. Uh, yeah. And yet, you know, when I, whenever yeah. I chat to footballers and rock stars, there's always a, it's always the other side of the coin, you know. I think that's in any any walk of life. But yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, those those were the the definite two preferred job options yeah. in 1977, and I was really not that great at football. <laughs> so me, I'm lucky. Lucky punk rock happened. That was lucky for me. That was <laughs> I just that was such a miracle because I never would have. You know, I, I was just like the one of men. I wasn't even the best guitar player in my part of Manchester. So how did it change? Because I mean, you know, I, I opened it by describing you as, you know, as many have said, the, the greatest living guitarist. And you must be aware that your talent is off the scale. I mean, you must be aware that when you sit down, there's nothing you can't play. There's nothing you can't create. Uh, oh no, quite the contrary. When I sit down, I don't think I can ever play anything. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just you know, that's just the human. I'm sure if a lot of people are really honest, we all have a lot of self doubt. But you understand uh, why that sentence has accompanied yeah, you yeah, for yeah, no, I, many decades. I, I it's think, not like it's a new thing. I think I just came up with a couple of good tricks. You know, I think I'm like a, a two-trick pony, and they're, they're good tricks. <laughs> 
you know, and people still want to come and see them, you know. It's yeah. like, have a, what's your routine? It's like vaudeville, isn't it? Yeah. What's your stick? Mine's like, bring out the white guitar. Yeah. That gets a round of applause, yeah. you know, more than I do. I think people come and see the, guitar. the guitar. It's the guitar and the yeah. bloke that carries it on stage. <laughs> I think, you know, it was lucky with the guitar and, you know, it, it was just fortunate. But I, the, the, I, there was a lot of, Ian, Ian and I definitely, as I said earlier, got together with the purpose of, he left a band that had a lot of potential. Yeah. I, I'd been in a band that had a lot of potential and kind of got fired, probably, whatever, from that band. But we got together, you know, our choice to, to, to do this and end up doing the call. And, and, you know, it was lucky that we made that decision. But we definitely went about it in a very pragmatic way um, on a lot of levels. And, but also were very open artistically, musically to try new ideas. And, you know, the, for example, I'll give you one example, because Sanctuary is a well-known cult song. Sure. So at the time, before we'd written Sell Sanctuary, we, we'd released one album, it had done okay. Other bands who were our peers were doing better. They'd been on top of the pops. Mm. We hadn't. Mm. People were starting to say to us, like the publishers were like, have you thought of covering an pop song? And... I remember at a meeting, like, yeah, and I, and I was like, well, if Iggy Pop can't have a hit with one of his songs, why, you yeah, know, why would yeah. we? But, you know, because that's what you say when you're 23 and you don't know anything. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I remember that conversation and getting a bit, starting to get a bit panicked in that we looked like we had everything going for us, you know, this amazing lead singer, front man. Yeah. I had my stick with the guitar. The looks, like, yeah. why haven't the call, you know, had a hit? Because yeah. everybody else has. Yeah. And there was this kind of tension before Sanctuary and I remember coming up with the music for Sanctuary and, and kind of playing it for Ian and, and in all honesty, he's going to hate me for saying this, he wasn't that keen at the time. Serious? Well, you know, he had... Did you know? Did you no, know? No, I didn't know. It? I didn't know. It was just something that... So it was just another song? Just a riff. I thought it was better than average, but it, had, it was catchy. Right. It's like something you could whistle. Like it was... I didn't know what it had become. What happened though, the key moment was the preeminent rock producer at that time was a guy called Steve Lillywhite. He okay. produced you two and everybody. He everybody simple minds. Everybody wanted to be produced by Steve Lillywhite. So our managers vaguely knew his managers. So they sent one of our um, our, our first album and a, and a live video of us to to his manager okay and apparently this is what happened the girl on reception put a little post-it note on it and wrote for steve and left it on reception you know so he was coming in out but another producer called steve brown who also was managed by the same manager okay picked it up and thought it was amazing but he hadn't produced any rock bands he'd produced wham's first album (laughs) so you're like hang on Right. We've got to get the stubble going on. Right. So yeah. he produced Wham's first album <laughs> and he got in touch with us and me and Ian took a meeting with him. And instead of like going like, uh, no, thanks. Yeah. We're good. We're a rock band. We don't need Wham's producer. We yeah. took the meeting and he was such a great guy. We met him, talked to him. We're open minded. And that's what I was saying. Like we were willing to listen to what he had to say. And he said, look, I've got known for producing pop funk stuff. I'm, 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 that's what I've got. But actually, I grew up engineering rock records like the Sensational Alex Harvey Band and Status Quo. And I cut my teeth as an engineer doing rock music. Yeah, yeah. He said, so, like, I get it. And and so 
Sanctuary was an experimental single with us and this producer, Steve Brown. Crazy. And that is the actual true story of how we ended up with it. And that single changed everything. Are you a believer in fate? Yeah. How, you have to be. Yeah. Because a lot of musicians would have said, there's no way I'm even taking a meeting with Wham's producer. No disrespect yeah. to Wham. Yeah. But how are we going to do And we were, you know... That, so so I think, so so there was a certain willingness and open-mindedness. And we just thought it was kind of mental. Yeah. I remember laughing with Ian about literally like this going like. What we're doing. What we're doing here. This is mental. And yeah. and the record. But again, we were with a record label, Beggar's Banquet, who were an indie label. They were very much into the music first, commerce second. But, you know, business and music, but, you know, not not business first. It was yeah. music first. And they were open-minded enough to give it a go and they suggested we try the single with him and the single was Sanctuary. What a single. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. And he's never produced anything except rock since then. He's Yeah, and he's ended up, you know, I mean, he's made a good living, Steve, but he's, that, that was a, you know, that what was a, a moment. moment. What a moment in time. Um, Billy, I could yep. talk to you all, all day about this, but, you know, we've, we've also got to talk about, you know, the human side of life. Yeah, OK. And, and, and you've you've been facing quite a battle recently. You've had your, your prostate cancer battle. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't have been fun. Um, yeah, that well. Um, it was it was a bit of a it was a bit inconvenient. I remember right. the, the guy telling me on the phone, he rang up and uh, it was all a bit like, oh, no, I think everything's fine. I had some like. Had an MRI and a and a biopsy, which I don't recommend. That's not fun. Okay. Very <laughs> says you can have a biopsy for your prostate. Beware. <laughs> Ask him to buy you dinner first. Um, what he didn't put you under? Uh, no, you have wow. to be awake for it. Oh damn. Uh, that's no fun. I'd had a bit of warning because my brother had had it. Uh, my brother had, had prostate cancer, so that was one of the reasons why it was detected. I mean, cut a long story short, it was very early detection. Yeah. The fact that my brother had had it and I had a, very, a pretty diligent doctor. And then it became, I was fortunate, I had good, went to the best surgeon in, I, I was in living in America at the time and I yeah. went to the best guy who did it on this. There's a thing that you can get now, um, it's called a Da Vinci machine. They basically, it's a surgical robot. Oh, wow. So basically, yes, I've seen this. Right, right. You would yeah, so the guy's oh, so the guy does the operation into a screen with yeah. gloves and and it's it's microsurgery, isn't yeah, it? With yeah, yeah, the lasers and things. Yeah, and they go Ooh. they go in. So he's over there at like a keyboard yeah. with a pair of like these gloves, and the robotic arms are doing the surgery. And basically, you know, it's, I mean, it's not really that grizzly. They they inflate they inflate your belly with CO two. To, to give them room to operate. Brilliant. They do like six small incisions or five incisions that are kind of tough. And um, and they operate. And basically, in my case, which was a choice, I went for that. They um, they dissect the prostate. Okay. It's about the size of a walnut. Yeah. Big walnut. And they remove it out of the little holes. And, um, you know, I was up and at them within two days. And wow, that was, and it's very common now. A lot of guys have been talking about it. I was all ready for my big reveal, and then Rod Stewart went and was like, you know, a far more famous person went and gave a story, and that was it. So done it, done it. I was like, Ugh. but did it derail you at all? Because you know, you, you you kind of, you know, I've been aware of your career since the beginning, and and you know, aware of kind of you and and your groove and all the rest of it, and you, no. you've always seemed kind of like invincible. 
Do you know what I mean? It's, you, you've always just, to me, you've always just had this air of invincibility. You know, you're, um. you're cool and you're tough and nothing's going to stop you. But then you find that you've just got this very real human condition. I, you know what? I, I probably, if I'm being honest with you, I probably worry about stuff that is far less important. I spend more time worrying about nonsense and I spend less time worrying about that. When, when something like that's presented to you, I think you really get into fight or flight mode. So you're either going to fall to pieces or the vast majority of people just get one information, yeah. facts, and then you make a decision. And, and it was a very positive experience where a few blokes I know had had it and they were very helpful in terms of sort of cutting through all the static because right. there's tons of information. And it, it really boils down to a few very simple choices. Some people prefer radiation. Yeah. I didn't fancy 20 trips to the hospital. Get the robot zapped, I, You know, and I, and I was advised. them. But it, ultimately, it's your choice as an individual. You're the patient. It's your life, your body. Yeah. People give you information, the statistics. Statistically, as far as I'm aware, there's no difference between the outcome of a robotic surgery and radiation. Right. The, the, the survival rate is great. It's very high. And the thing about prostate cancer, they say it's like, it's the if you're going to get cancer, it's the one you want. Right. Because okay. it's curable. Okay. You know, with 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 that. So, and, and the danger with it really is if you don't get it detected, then it, it can kill you. Yeah. And that's the thing I don't think people are fully aware about. You know, you mentioned the word cancer, people are terrified. You know, whatever. But I think that with prostate cancer, um, if if left undetected, it can go into your spine, yeah. and it's it's gonna, gonna, and then you're done. And then, then, then you're done. But it's ninety five percent curable, I think, something like that. You know, and so you're not kind of, you know, for you that's just the moment in time again. It's just done. It's yeah, finished. And it's a bit it of an inconvenience. You. you know, there's a few things that are not great about it afterwards. The recovery, and yeah. you know, I won't go into group. I won't go into too much detail. I don't want to. No, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't. But 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 it's it's um, you know, you've you know, you've met the the fiance. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's Nothing working. to worry about. Everything's yeah. good. <laughs> you know, you don't have to worry about that these days. The old days, though, you did. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the old surgery for, before this robot was very um, nasty and very invasive. And you were basically gutted like a fish and it was a mess. And most, I think it was like 99% impotence for men with the old Damn. surgery. Damn. So... I'm just that thankful that it's another it wasn't reason 20 years ago. Yeah. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And it's going to be more and more. I mean, like, you know, I'll leave it at this. Four, or five, four out of five men are going to die with prostate cancer. They're not going to die of it, but they're going to die with it. It's that common. Okay. But generally, you get it when you're so old or it gets diagnosed when you're so old that you're probably just going to die of old age anyway before the cancer kills you. Right. Um, but they, they've gotten so good with the diagnostics now, they can kind of tell the slow-moving type of prostate cancer and the fast-moving kind. And, okay. You know, it's it's like all the cancers. You know, I, I'm really good friends with Mike Peters from The Alarm, who's done a lot of work for... The, he's been suffering... You know, he's been, been surviving cancer for 15 years, kind of Hodgkin's. Right, okay. So, I'm, and, you know, I support his charity, Love, Hope, Strength, which is a kind of a musical thing we could do um, for, for people who, who cancer. Because he's kind of a panic. You get that phone call. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a moment. It's not, it's not it, when you it, want, right, you know, No, you always remember where you are when yeah. you get the phone call and they say, uh, bit of bad news, Yeah, you've got cancer. And then from there, you, you know, you choose your path. Yeah. You mentioned the fiancé, yeah. lovely Leliani. Yeah, yeah. She has been on record as saying, doesn't want to have kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've had a chat with her. She's yeah. had a change of heart. How do you feel about that? Oh, she's changed her mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. up for it. You, yeah, yeah you, she wants kids. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you goat, in? Goat kids. <laughs> for babies. If she did change her mind, how would that Because there's a bit of an age difference between the two of you. Would you be like, yeah, sure, let's let's do it? Or well, be... well, it'd be difficult for me because you can't. It, that's one of the downsides of having... You, you can't have kids. Okay. So you've either frozen your sperm. I see. So you decided not to freeze anything. Well, I, you know what? <laughs> To the honest truth, I froze some, um, and I don't know what happened to it. It was a power failure. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I froze some, and then I don't know where it. No, when it was done. So this was like three years ago. It happened. Hang on, you've frozen some, and it's got lost. Well, somewhere. no, I don't know. I haven't really heard back from the place. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and my only sense is I don't know because she doesn't want kids. So, but if she changed her mind and you could locate the frozen stuff, would you be? I mean, would you be cool with that, or would you be like? Uh, might be a bit knackering I'm now. a bit I'm a bit old for that I think <laughs> you know what I mean I think you know I like to try and take care of myself you know but on the inside I'm still an old bloke <laughs> you know what I, mean? I love this idea that there's some of your frozen sperm somewhere floating around I mean, California you might get a knock on the door well, in a few years time you'd be, well <laughs> like, you'd be surprised I mean there's there's guys I know who've been in bands who lived through the 80s like let's say the pre-AIDS era yeah and, um, you know, they do get a knock on the Six door. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. When, yeah. yeah, but they get a knock on the door from a 23-year-old. All right, Dad. Uh, all right, Dad, I've been looking for you. <laughs> um, you know, it happens. Yeah. You know, not to me, but it happens. What would you do if it did? Well, I don't know. I, have to, I don't know. I mean, you... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess you, em, you have to embrace... I don't know. I don't. I don't spend a lot of time with the what ifs. Yeah. I, if it happened, I see because I find that one particularly interesting. I oh, occasionally really? get a dream right. that that I get a knock on the door. Oh, from. really? From the from... and I'm always like, how would I react if that happened in real life? I don't know. It's very difficult because having because I have a kid. I have a daughter. Yeah. Um, she's just gone to college. Lives in America. She's eighteen. Um, I've been a part-time dad. I've not been a full-time dad, okay. you know. So, and I've been responsible, you know, financially, and you know. But I haven't lived with her. Right. And um, she's um, she's doing great. She goes to a great university in America, such as you can go to a university oh, in right. 2020 because yeah. she grad her year was 2020, so it's the non-graduation, the whole. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's just her bad luck, but. Um, I, you know, if, I think if you have kids and even if you have kids in the way that I did, which was a little bit, you know, for a little bit from a distance. Um, and I know a lot of musicians who have several kids and, you know, I've heard, there's all sorts of terrible stories of, you know, guys with one night stands. I mean, right. you know, with people they, they, they wouldn't know. It's like a complete stranger. Yeah. They have a one night stand. And, and out of that becomes a life yeah. and a person yeah. with feelings. And, and it's like a whole... You know, um, it's a trip, you know, it has happened to me. So, um, but I do know plenty of people it has happened to. Must be a weird one. Must yeah, weird yeah, one. yeah, yeah. So, you know, 
Keep it safe. Disconnect your doorbell. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. That yeah. would hurt too much. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't think I could do it. Yeah. Billy, what's next? I mean, we've had such a good chat. I don't want to kind of keep you, but what's what's the plan? You, you're kind of crystal balling. What does the next um, couple of years hold? Well, I mean, obviously, like most musicians, you know, I've gone from being a, a guy who toured every year for the last 15, 16 years. The cult have done a minimum of 50 to 100 shows every year yeah. for 15, 16 years, um, we've gone to a guy who's doing no gigs. and um, But in, in all honesty, if I'm truthful, I actually am enjoying it. Right. I'm, 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 I, I mentally very early on went, I'm just going to take a year off from the whole touring thing. Because it's very, you know, you get used to it. You know, we, it's, it's, a, it's a great job. It's yeah. the best job in the world. Yeah. Travel around, you get to play music, to people that love it, and you get paid for it. It's great. Bonus. But once in a while, it's nice to take a year off. So I'm just sort of chilling out and enjoying like being um, a civilian. It, it's happened to me before a couple of times when the cult sort of broke up. Yeah, there was a few years in the '90s, and there's there's a few years in the uh, early 2000s. And I just think it's a nice time for me to recharge my batteries, chill out, do normal stuff, ride some motorbikes, ride motorbikes, yeah. ride bicycles, just to, just chill out. Has she got you on a horse yet? I, I'm not. I love being around the whole equestrian world. Yeah. I don't really enjoy riding horses. I've ridden horses. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a, a hater, but it's not it's something. Just I'm just not yeah. interested. Yeah. I much prefer a motorbike. Yeah. You know, it. it, it doesn't, You're in charge. There. It doesn't get frightened by <laughs> yeah. puddles or. Yeah. Or bits of tinfoil or a balloon. <laughs> Helicopters. And it, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's drones, you know what I'm yeah, saying? It's, yeah, yeah. It, it just, it's a machine and, uh, you know, I get my jollies off doing that, you know. Brilliant, brilliant. Billy, it's been really, really cool talking to you. Lovely talking really to you too. It. Thank you. My pleasure. The Andy J Podcast.